on June 17, 2002, shortly after his 59th birthday, 110-meter hurdle Olympic champion Willie Davenport passed away in Chicago, Illinois. Now, not only did the track and field community mourn his death, but he also received recognition and remembrance from the sports world as a whole. Davenport was not only a two-time Olympic medalist in the hurdles, he was also the first black athlete to compete in the Winter Olympic Games. Today, we'll tell the story of Willie Davenport and how his performances both on the track in the summer and on the ice in the winter would set the foundation for many athletes competing in both Olympics to this day. My name is Anderson and this is Track and Field Black History. Born in Troy, Alabama, Willie Davenport was the oldest of seven siblings in his family. Though part of his childhood was spent in Troy, when he was nine years old, his family moved up to Warren, Ohio. Now, throughout his time in middle school, Davenport was active in baseball, basketball, and track. But by the time he was in high school, track became his preferred sport and he chose to join the track team at his high school. Originally focusing on the sprint events as he was a naturally fast athlete, he actually ended up participating in the hurdles almost accidentally. During a spring competition, one of his high school teammates was sick that day, leading Davenport to replace his spot in the 120 yard hurdles. Not only did he go on to win the event, he ran one of the best hurdle times in the school's district, solidifying his potential in the event. Now, despite excelling in track, Davenport was one of the only black students at Howland High School, which was a relatively affluent school in the specific neighborhood. He noted that moving to Ohio and attending the school made him into a quote, loner with a sour attitude. But track allowed him to transform his outlook on life and have some goals to actually look forward to. Now, though Davenport's hurdle form and technique was still very elementary, he was essentially jumping over hurdles. He continued to excel and make progress in the event. And by the end of his senior year of high school, he was an Ohio State champion with a personal best of 14.2 seconds in the 120 yard hurdles, which was an Ohio State record. Despite his success though, Davenport was unfortunately not a huge draw for college recruiters. So after graduating high school in 1961, he enlisted in the army as a paratrooper. Shortly after his enlistment, he went to live in managed West Germany, serving as a paratrooper there. Now during his time there from 1961 all the way to 1963, he joined a German track club, which gave him the opportunity to continue training in the hurdles as he still had a love for the sport and had some really ambitious goals that he wanted to achieve. Though he was working and training with the track club, he didn't actually have a proper coach while he was there. So he was essentially self-trained. But regardless, he was focused on qualifying for the Olympic Games in 1964. And while training in Germany, his performances and hurdle times began to get significantly faster. In addition to his own workouts on the track, Davenport also studied the top American hurdlers who he would potentially be going up against for a spot to make the Olympic team. He soon returned to the United States in 1964 and set his sights on the US Olympic trials and making the Olympic team in the 110 meter hurdles. Prior to the Olympic trials, Hayes Jones, the 1960 Olympic bronze medalist, was seen as a favorite for the 110 meter hurdles, with Blaine Lindgren a potential challenger to him. Davenport had run 13.8 seconds and 13.9 seconds in the hurdles and started to create some discussion, but no one really thought that he would be a serious threat to beat either Jones or Lindgren. But at the 1964 Olympic trials held in New York City, New York, 
Davenport's hard work over the years paid off immensely. Davenport pulled off the upset, winning the Olympic trials ahead of Hayes and booking his ticket to his very first Olympic Games. Entering his Olympic debut, the 1964 Games in Tokyo, Japan, Davenport unfortunately suffered a thigh injury in training just a few days before the start of competition. Though he managed to progress past the heats and into the semifinals, his injury was too significant and prevented him from making it into the finals of the 110 meter hurdles at those games. But disappointment at his first Olympics would not deter his focus and determination. And despite his poor showing in Tokyo, he was ranked number five in the world in the 110 meter hurdles after just his first season of serious competition, which served as further motivation for the coming years. In 1965, Davenport left the army after an honorable discharge and began studying physical education at Southern University A&M in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. While at Southern, he joined the school's football team, training and competing for some years with the team, but he really did struggle, mainly as a receiver as he could barely catch any throws. Bob Bennett, former quarterback for Southern University at the time, noted that Davenport, quote, couldn't catch a cold if he was naked in Alaska, essentially poking fun at his skills. But despite his work on the football field, Davenport's true focus was always the hurdles and on the track. And in the following years, he absolutely dominated. While at Southern, he was finally training under a proper coach for the first time since high school, and he led his team to conference championship wins for three consecutive years. From 1966 to 1971, Davenport won five U.S. indoor titles at the 60-yard hurdles, and he also won four U.S. outdoor titles at the 110-meter hurdles from 1965 to 1969. Plus, he was an Olympic trials winner in 1968. He also complemented his wins with multiple record-setting times at all distances from 50 meters all the way up to 120 yards in the hurdles. Now, early in the 1968 Olympic year, Davenport actually suffered a groin injury that took him out from training and from competition for a significant amount of months. But thankfully, he was able to successfully recover and get ready in time for those Olympic trials to make the team to the 1968 Olympic Games in Mexico City. Earl McCullough, who had equaled the world record in the 110 meter hurdles in 1967, was expected to challenge Davenport for the win at the Olympic trials. But the 1968 trials and Olympics were occurring later in the year, in September and October. And this presented a problem for McCullough, who was also playing football. Since September and October would be deep into the football season, McCullough chose to focus on the NFL, where he was eventually drafted by the Detroit Lions. This essentially cleared the field of Davenport's top competition, allowing him to win the 1968 Olympic trials and successfully qualify for his second Olympic team in the 110 meter hurdles. Well, at those 1968 Olympics held in Mexico City, Mexico, Davenport was one of many black athletes representing the United States in the midst of the civil rights and black power movement. The games are of course notable for the protests by Tommy Smith and John Carlos. But Davenport noted that he kept his focus individually on the track and towards winning his first Olympic medal. Remembering back to his time growing up in both Alabama and in Ohio, Davenport would sometimes feel distress and anguish about discrimination that he experienced back then. But he did feel a bit of anxiety and dismay when reporters would consistently ask questions about the protests, civil rights, and racism while he was at the Olympics. Despite that, Davenport came ready to perform at his best and make up for the disappointment from four years prior. Though he cruised through the rounds winning his heat and semifinal races, he was extremely nervous when preparing to run in the Olympic final. 
he apparently almost fell when taking off his sweatpants right before the race. He also apparently didn't hear the starter say get into the set position while he was in the blocks. He just saw the other runners go up and followed right behind them, all because of his built up nervousness. But once the gun went off and the race began, Davenport claims his nervous feelings all dissipated and he felt 100% confident that he would win the gold medal. He said, quote, from the first step when I raised up from the block, before my foot even put down for the first time, I knew I'd won the race. And he was right. He led from start to finish, raising his hands in celebration as he crossed the line, winning the Olympic gold medal in the 110 meter hurdles in an Olympic record of 13.33 seconds. This performance solidified Davenport as not only the best hurdler in the world, but the most consistent as well, backing up his previous three seasons of domination. Now Davenport wasn't done after the Olympics though. In 1969, just a year later, at the Zurich meeting in Switzerland, he went on to break the world record in the 110 meter hurdles, running 13.2 seconds into a negative 0.9 meter per second headwind. He also graduated from Southern University that same year. Now one thing to remember is back then, track and field was still an amateur sport. So many athletes would still work jobs to sustain themselves financially while they trained in track and field. So after graduating from Southern, Davenport started working as a teacher in Baton Rouge. He also coached track at Southern University while attaining his master's degree, which he completed in 1974. In addition, he worked in fitness programs for youth in the city of Baton Rouge, which later became ominous of his later career as a director for a fitness program in Louisiana. But as you can see, Davenport was doing a lot at one time, all the while still training to try and make his third Olympic team in 1972. When those 1972 US Olympic trials came around, though Davenport did not win, he did manage to barely finish second place, securing a spot on his third Olympic team, this time to Munich, Germany. Unfortunately though, these games would turn out to be very tough and challenging for him. On September 3rd and 4th, 1972, Davenport comfortably qualified through the heats and semifinals of the 110 meter hurdles at the Munich Olympics. But on September 6th, just one day before the 110 meter hurdle final, a terrorist group had killed 11 Israeli athletes and coaches in what is now known as the Munich Massacre. Davenport noted that after the attack, he was shaken up and rattled, which may very well have affected his race the following day. Well, in that Munich final, Davenport finished a disappointing fourth place, just two hundredths of a second away from winning a second medal. Despite the loss, Davenport continued to compete and train over the next few years, with his eyes set on qualifying for a fourth Olympic Games in 1976. But just a year prior to that, in 1975, Davenport suffered a serious knee injury which set back his training. But not long after that, he also had a blood clot in his right lung which almost spelled tragedy for both his career and his life. Though he was able to receive treatment for both conditions, his knee and his lung, Doctors told him that he would never be able to compete again in the sport of track and field and would likely forever walk with a limp. But just like the previous setbacks in his past, he didn't let that experience deter him from his goals. After a year of consistent treatment, medication, and rehab, Davenport was back on the track and went on to successfully qualify for the 1976 Olympic Games by finishing second place at the Olympic trials. Not only did he qualify, but at those Olympics in Montreal, Canada, Davenport made it to the finals of the 110 meter hurdles and finished in third place, earning a bronze medal, making up for just missing the podium four years prior. 
This was a huge accomplishment as Davenport was at his fourth Olympics, was 33 years old, and had been coming off a career-ending injury. After the race, Davenport had said, quote, because of the injury, I was more inspired than I normally would have been. Of course, a lot of thoughts went through my head, mainly whether I can compete again or not, but I was just really inspired because all the medical people said I would not be able to do it anymore. Davenport competed for one more year, finishing ranked overall sixth in the world in 1977, choosing to end his hurdling career just after that. And by the time he retired from the track, he had world ranked 12 times between 1964 and 1977, including five consecutive number one rankings. Though his career on the track was over, another opportunity in athletics presented itself for Davenport. While serving on the Olympic Committee, he was occasionally communicating with Al Hatchigan, a former American bobsledder who had won a bronze medal in the four-man bobsled competition at the 1969 World Championships. Hatchigan was explaining the sport of bobsled to Davenport and noted that the leg strength of a hurdler on the track would translate exceptionally well during the initial push-off phase at the start of a bobsled run. Hatchigan spoke about Davenport saying, quote, Willie's a man with a lot of experience and it shows. What's this, his fifth Olympics? It gives him a cool. Well, the conversations inspired Davenport to take the chance and literally jump into the bobsled. By the fall of 1979, he was in Colorado Springs, Colorado, doing weight training at the US Olympic training facility. And soon after, he was in Plattsburgh, New York, where he got to push the bobsled for the first time, but just around a hockey rink. By December 1979, barely two months before the start of the Olympics, Davenport got his first opportunity to participate in an actual bobsled run, and he noted that he was absolutely terrified. At the time he said, quote, you know the ad, don't squeeze the Charmin? Well, I was squeezing the hell out of the Charmin all the way down. I was scared the first time, and I'm still scared. As Hatchigan noted in his early conversations, Davenport served as one of the team's pushers, which meant his job was to get the sleigh to a quick speed at the start of the race. Considering his experience as a hurdler, explosive out of the blocks and to the first hurdle, this was the perfect opportunity to use the skills that he had developed his entire career. So despite his nervousness, he made it work. And after dominating the four-man bobsled competition with his team at trials, he was on his way to the Olympics. He would not be the lone black athlete though. Fellow American Jeff Gadley, a decathlete who was training for the 1980 Summer Olympic Games, had also been recruited by Hatchkin to compete in the bobsled. This would make both Davenport and Gadley the first two black athletes to ever qualify and compete in the Winter Olympic Games. Davenport said, quote, there is a myth in this country that says blacks can't make the American Winter Olympic team. Jeff and I proved this to be wrong, that you don't have to be rich and white to make it. Jeff Gadley had been part of the bobsled team for some time actually. He made the 1979 World Championship team and he spoke about how, despite being an exceptional athlete himself and a great asset to the team, there were some members who didn't like him there simply because he was black. In 1979, Gadley noted, quote, the worst thing I heard is that someone didn't want a black guy on the back of their sled. The saddest part is knowing that at the World Championships, your own teammates don't like you because of your color. It wasn't all about skin color though. Part of it was you're breaking up a culture. Well, eventually they went to the 1980 Olympic games in Lake Placid, New York and finished 12th place in the four men bobsled competition, significantly lower than the American team had hoped. But it was still a legendary moment that would have lasting effects for decades. As the first black athletes to ever compete in the Winter Olympics, Davenport and Gadley set the foundation for a slew of track athletes competing in the bobsled. 
That included names such as Edwin Moses, Ronaldo Nehemiah, Willie Galt, Lolo Jones, and Lauren Williams. Williams is one of just six athletes and the only black athlete in history to win medals at both the Summer and Winter Olympics. After she won a silver in the 2014 bobsled, complementing her 100 meter silver and 4x1 gold medals from the 2004 and 2012 Olympics respectively. Though Davenport's wife was not convinced he would finally actually end his athletic career, Davenport did finally settle down and leave athletics after those 1980 Winter Olympics. He soon returned to the military, serving as a commander with a reserve force in Oregon, and later as an ROTC instructor and recruiter back at his home school, Southern University in Louisiana. He continued working with youth, even serving as a coach for the All-Army Track and Field team in the early 90s. And he eventually rose to become a colonel in the Army National Guard, later serving as chief of the National Guard Bureau's Office of Sports Management. Sadly, in June 2002, while connecting between flights at O'Hare Airport in Chicago, Illinois, Davenport suffered a heart attack, eventually passing away at the age of just 59. Now, Davenport had a long and impactful career in both athletics and in the military. From his gold medal in Mexico City in 1968, to competing in the Winter Olympics, to becoming a colonel in the Army National Guard. He left an impact that still reverberates through the sport to this day, and his legacy is one that will never be forgotten. So that's the story of Willie Davenport, the first black athlete to compete in both the Summer and Winter Olympic Games. Make sure you follow the podcast, check us out on Instagram, and thanks for tuning in to Track and Field Black History.